So yesterday we had the um, SU Volleyball evening. How's it going? So yesterday we had the um, SU Volleyball Comp. And uh, on average we won. So we took second, third, fourth and every other one. So we won. Uh, yeah, we won. Uh, so did the Brisbane Lions. Wasn't that good? I mean, how good was that? I um, am excited to shift from the Crows that lost yesterday to support the Lions. Um, easy, easy shift uh, to do that. I just want to um, bring something to your attention. One of the things that's been happening over the last seven, eight months or so is the fact that um, because of this property that was redeveloped next door and the partnership with us in Churches of Christ Care, there's an opportunity for us as a church to start serving in our local community. Um, there's options for us to partner with Moona Park, the aged care facility, and Churches of Christ Care that actually takes responsibility for all the aged care um, clients in the whole northwest Brisbane. So it's an extensive area. And one of the things that we realized is that um, with both of these um, environments, there isn't enough people to volunteer and to share the load, to help people with, um, that is of age. And one of the good things that um, transpired out of our conversations is that they are willing to host an eight-week training program for free that actually trains people in aged care so that we can go into the aged care homes or into some people's homes and actually just say, hey, we love you, we want to care for you, and Jesus loves you, um, and whatever flows out of that. One of the key things is actually helping some of our older folk tell their story so that they can recollect some of the good things that happened in their lives. So on the 28th of April, um, we're going to create a, a sign-up opportunity for people that want to be part of that. This is not just something for old people to <laughs> engage old people. I think it's an, it's an incredible opportunity for us to say, hey, part of our life is to, to serve and to engage um, some of the needs in our community. So on the 28th of April, make sure that you um, sign up. It's going to be a, an incredible uh, time together just to consider what it looks like to engage our community in that way. One of the other things that's been happening over the last um, three months or so is that we've been partnering with Mitchelton State High School. Um, there's some great work that the chaplains are doing there. And for some kind of reason, I'm still trying to figure out exactly how that happened. But AJ was voted on as the vice president of the PNC. <laughs> for those of you that don't know, he doesn't have a child in that school. Um, but it is definitely one of the schools that has, has um, a few challenges. And one of the environments that we felt we want to walk towards, we know Jesus would have done that would have walked towards an environment that, that connects um, and engages people that are broken, people that are lost. Um, in the conversations, it became apparent that the tuck shop didn't have a pie warmer. So just think about this. They sell cold pies next to the sushi. Cold pies is not a thing, just want to say. I've had a few in my life. It's never good. Um, and we just felt we could bless them with a pie warmer. So this week we took a pie warmer, maybe AJ, if you can just share a minute. <laughs> yeah, we, we took a pie warmer, <laughs> but it was good. We, we had a couple of people from church, we just took it over there, stormed into the, the what do you call it, tuck shop, and uh, both ladies, they were overwhelmed, they were like, oh, because um, you can't see what it is, just this big box, and they don't know us, so we just blessed them, they were, they were in tears, and... Um, we feel like that's a first step for us to just love our high schools. And we're already involved in a lot of high schools in the area. Many of you are in some of them. Uh, but this is a first step in this school. There's a lot of pain there. Um, and so Clinton will share a bit more of that. Maybe just this Thursday, we're actually going to march in there again in the office with all the admin ladies. And we're going to give them cake and coffee and tea and whatever they have. So if you've got open time, 10 a.m. on Thursday, we're just going to go in there and just bomb them with cake. Is that good? Okay. <laughs> I'm telling this story because it's, it's actually been very little effort and very little engagement from our side, just asking the question, how do we connect and engage with what sits out of our, um, for, out of the, uh, outside of the four walls of our church? Um, so it's pie warmers and it's just serving on PNCs and it's just asking a few questions. On Thursday afternoon, I get a phone call. 
from Michi, um, and it's still something that grips me, to consider that um, there's some people that are really struggling in our environment. There's a family at that school, a dad and his six children, one of the kids passed away, and the mom passed away in the last few years. And he's doing it tough. So difficult that he has to make a choice at the moment to, um, to pass his children on to state care because he can't care for them himself anymore. And the school called us to say, hey, is there anything that you guys can do? Now that, for me, firstly, is shocking to think that a dad is in that place where he's just, he doesn't have any answers anymore. And the only option is to say, well, take my kids away from me. I'm not a life-giving influence in their life anymore. But what a blessing to know that we are becoming a point of reference for the need in our community, that people are saying, we can't, but can you help? So tomorrow we're starting that conversation. So pray for us. Uh, one of the things that we're asking is, could we have some people that could become respite foster carers that could just relieve the need of some of our families in our community? And I believe that um, we could. And I believe we should. And I believe it's something that Jesus would, Jesus would want us to do. Is that good? So keep praying for that. Um, it's going to be exciting to see what happens in uh, that space. I want to tell you a story just uh, in the lead up to our series starting. A few years ago, um, I was uh, doing a wedding. And during the ceremony, we were having a bit of champagne. Um, and one of the guys having champagne with us was getting all, let's call it loose. Um, I mean, really loose. After a couple of glasses of champagne, his speech started slurring. He couldn't walk straight. And he f suddenly felt, oh, what's going on? And it was, it was, it was a nuisance um, just because of my role. I'm the pastor, and suddenly I've got a drunk guy sitting at my table. Um, and everyone's, what's happening over there um, kind of thing. And just as he was escalating, I just took the bottle and said, hey, just call him Pete. I don't want to sell out his name. I just... I, don't you, can't you see that this champagne doesn't have any alcohol in? And he said, no. I said, yeah, just read this. And he read the bottle and realized that it didn't. And in a moment, he was cured of um, drunkenness. <laughs> and I learned a very interesting lesson that day. Is that a lie that we believe is true, even though it's not true, will affect us as if it were true. Can I say that again? A lie that we believe is true, even though it's not true, will affect us as if it were true. A big part of our life is we've, it's not just about what are we learning, but it's also some of the questions that we need to ask ourselves is what are we unlearning in terms of our experience, our, our life, especially when it comes to our relationship with God. I think one of the lies that I think Christians believe so easily is that the gospel is good to bring us to a point of salvation. But after that, we need performance and dedication to holiness to work the rest out. And it's interesting because when we say we shared the gospel with someone, we would say that we've shared a message that Jesus died for them and they made a decision to come to Christ. But after that, there's a bit of a blur. And it's almost as if we put the pressure on people saying that the gospel brings you to salvation, but you need discipline and perseverance and hard work and performance to take you further. Now, I don't think that's entirely true. I think the gospel speaks into getting us to the point of accepting Christ as our Lord and Savior. But the gospel also takes us further and speaks into every other part of our lives. See, if we believe that, if we believe that the gospel brings us to salvation only, what happens with so many people is that after we made the decision to follow Christ, we suddenly don't know what to do. And a big part of the Christian message was, well, now you've got to wait until you die and you get to heaven. There's a bit of power surges going on <laughs> over the year. And I reckon that, in a big way, has probably um, created an environment where people got saved and waited until they died. And there wasn't a lot of movement in the middle. 
And one of the things that happen if we sit on the bus station of life waiting for Jesus to come or for us to die is we begin to compartmentalize our life. Compartmentalizing means that we take God and we put Him in this box and we decide that, uh, well, maybe there isn't a lot of God going on in the other areas. We, we try to make life work in all the other areas of our life. That's not what I think God wants to lead us into. He wants to be Lord of all. So part of this wholehearted series is asking the question, what is our definition of wholeheartedness? If you come through the, um, uh, the deck on the outside, you'll see our purpose statement is um, us becoming a community of wholehearted followers of Christ, compelled to make a difference in our world. So what does it mean for us to become wholehearted followers of Christ? Now, try to play around with a bit of a definition, and there's lots of definitions running around, but wholehearted in essence means completely and sincerely devoted. It means that we are marked by complete and earnest commitment, and that we're free from all reserve, and, uh, all reserve or hesitation. So it basically means that we're all in, that we're committing everything that we have to the cause of Christ. Not because it's forced, but because we received something so beautiful that it transitioned us, that the only natural response, that's why we use the word compelled to make a difference, is something drives us on the inside to say, we have to, and we want to, and we will make a difference in our world. We won't settle for a Christianity that is all around this notion that, well, luckily I'm tight with God and that's it. We believe that Christianity takes you full circle. That yes, we receive what Christ did for us and then we share that with, in, with the world that we're living in. Now, Brené Brown is um, just one of the main uh, contributors in the TED Talk scene at the moment. She's a psychologist in Houston, Texas. She played around with the whole notion of what does it mean to be a wholehearted person. And her definition is a wholehearted person is someone who has a strong sense of love and belonging. And they believe that they are worthy of love and they are worthy of belonging. So someone who's wholehearted is actually someone who has been loved into wholehearted living, so much so that they feel that they, not, not just feel, they believe that they belong in the environment of love and care and affection. She makes an interesting comment after um, many years of research and countless of interviews. She says that the only difference between those who are wholehearted and those who aren't sits at belief level. Some people believe they are, and some people believe they're not loved. So the only thing that she discovered in all her research is people who are loved respond with wholeheartedness towards life. People that feel that they don't belong and that they aren't loved, they withdraw from life, and they don't contribute. She says wholehearted people have the courage to be imperfect, and I love that. Just look at my hair. I mean, it has to be imperfect. <laughs> she says, wholehearted people have the compassion to be kind to themselves first and then to others and the authenticity to let go of who they think they should be in order to be who they truly are. That just that notion, that belief of me being loved and me belonging actually gives me the capacity to live an authentic life that I can rid myself from the perspective, the perspective and the perception of the people outside of me saying that you should be that. If I'm loved and if I have this belief that I belong, I actually have the capacity to say, no, I'm going to not go there. I will be who I believe God created me to be. And that's what we want to just consider over the next few weeks um, is just what does it look like for us to be a wholehearted follower of Christ? Now, I want to start off this, morning, uh, this evening with the notion of um, three eyes that hopefully you'll be able to remember after tonight. Identity, intimacy, and impact. Three key concepts that you need to grapple with. Right after Jesus was baptized, we read in Matthew 3 verse 16 and 17, 
that Jesus had been baptized, and just as he came from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. So that's an incredible moment. Just in your mind, picture that specific moment. Jesus baptized by John the Baptist, and as he came out of the water, the Spirit of God ascending on him like a dove and literally illuminating Christ. I think that would have been incredible to see. And at that moment, a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, whom I am well, with whom I am well pleased. Now, we've had some great stories this year of people getting baptized and people making the decision to be baptized. If you're still asking that question, why should I, why should I and why is this important? It's because the security of identity that comes from me identifying with what Jesus did for me in his death and his resurrection and his life is, is the thing that secures my identity in him. And that's exactly what happened to Jesus. Because after Jesus was baptized and God spoke that over his life, it's, um, it's critical for us to, to understand that at that point, Jesus had not done any miracles yet. At that point, he was just a carpenter's son, studied in the Jewish law, became a rabbi, but he hadn't performed any miracles to that point. It was only after baptism and his testing in the wilderness that Jesus began his season of public ministry. So God's proclamation over Christ's life that this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased was not based on what Jesus did. It was based on who Jesus was. Critical for us to understand that the source of Jesus' identity was the proclamation of the Father over his life, not the activities that he engaged with in healing people and performing miracles. And when it comes to us, there's something that we need to grapple with, that it's the Father's proclamation over our life that establishes our identity. Just listen to what John 1 verse 12 says. It says, to all who, what do we need to do? To all who received him, he gave the right to become children, sons and daughters of God. It's in our capacity to receive, not perform. Romans 8 verse 15 to 17 says, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Paul goes on to say the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children, sons and daughters of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. This is an incredible statement affirming our identity and affirming the fact that our identity was established by what we received from God, not by what we produced or achieved. The difference between a son or daughter of God and a spiritual orphan is simply the willingness to receive the love of the Father. Now this sounds very simplistic, but it's probably one of the most liberating truths that you could hear. That so many people sitting here and so many people um, engaged in the walk of Christianity are still struggling with an orphaned spirit because they can't receive the love that God has given them um, through Christ. And this orphaned spirit um, brings us to a place where we trade our position as son and daughter of the Most High and we settle for an orphaned lifestyle. The definition of an orphaned spirit is... Um, it's a spiritual condition in which some Christians profess outwardly to know God as their father, but they experience an internal contradiction to that belief. So we have the ability to voice, and cognitively we can say that, yes, I believe that God is my father. But when we sit alone and when we ask the questions, do I actually believe that? There is a contradiction and a distance between what I profess and what I actually experience. And when that happens, when the orphan spirit takes hold of your heart, the same thing happens with what happens with that dog. You don't have the capacity to share life anymore. 
you will grab hold of everything you can and you will try and keep it close to you. You don't have the ability to release or to share because you've been wounded in your heart. One of the most beautiful promises in the New Testament is when Jesus looks at us saying, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. That even though I'll leave this planet, and even though I'll go, I will still send my spirit, and you will have my spirit, testifying with your spirit that you are children of God. So there's something that needs to shift in our identity, our perception of our identity, to come to that place of understanding that we can live wholehearted lives. That notion that who Jesus was is who I am. That Jesus becomes the blueprint, the mirror image of who we are. When Romans 8.29 says that we were predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that's not just loose theological jargon. It actually says that before the foundation of the world, God had you in mind, and He thought that you had the capacity, He created you with the capacity to be conformed to the image of His Son. So that what is true about Christ is true about us. That's incredible. But that brings us to the next I, and it's intimacy. It's from this place of security in his identity that Jesus walked in absolute freedom. It's interesting that Jesus never tried to defend himself or to justify or validate or prove himself to the world or anyone because he was secure in his father's opinion of who he was. It's actually interesting that when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, that the enemy came to him saying, if you are the Son of God, do this. What word did the devil leave out? Jesus wasn't just the Son of God. He was the beloved Son of God. It's one of those little notions that I think the enemy comes into each one of our lives, and he doesn't challenge the fact that you're a child of God or that you're a Christian. He challenges the fact that God loves you and that you are worthy of His love, and that you could be at a place that you can receive His love. The moment that that happens, we move from a position of receiving to a place of performing, where I want to try my best to try and perform myself into God's, into God, God's good books. The problem with performance is, if I start performing, I've got to keep performing. And performance over time tires us out. But we don't want to tell people that, so we engage in a process where suddenly we live this public life where now we're all good with God and everything's perfect and we raise a hallelujah. But at home and in our alone times with God, we sense this contradiction and this separation and this feeling that I've got to keep performing and my guilt and my shame and my pain keeps pushing me and pushing me and pushing me. Because I believe that I am not worthy of God's love. The fact is, when we embrace that notion of identity, it changes the way that we view God. I just love the fact this morning at 4 a.m., Michaela woke up and felt the need to come and spend time with her dad. Her dad wasn't that excited about that. Just want to say, never am at 4 a.m. in the morning. But she jumped into bed, and Melise uh, realized that I had a big day today, so she sort of tried to pull Michaela over to her side, and she said, I'll deal with this. And Michaela just, no, and turned around and put her arms around me and sort of fell asleep on my chest. After about 25 minutes, I tried to just shift her off, and again she said, I miss you, Daddy, and got back into this and held on to me. Why am I telling the story? You know what a child does who's loved? and who has the sense of belonging, they walk into the room as if they belong, as if they need to be there. They don't fall in the trap of distance and delay. And that's what religion provides us. They actually respond to the fact that, Dad, you're there, and I want to walk straight up to you. So when we read in the book of Hebrews that because of what Jesus did for us, He opened the doorway so that we can go with confidence into the very presence of our Father, it's because we understand that we are His children. And children, as His children, we have confidence. 
we have this conviction and this belief that we are loved and we belong. And because we have that, guess what we do? We go straight in because that's who we are. But that also changes the nature of our worship. Because when we worship, we don't worship from the premise of distance trying to catch God's attention. We worship because we're convinced that we are in His presence. We are in Him and He is in us. And it changes our whole experience of what worship looks like. Because worship isn't something that we do from a distance. It's celebrating the presence of, of Christ in us. One of the things that I love about the self-revelation of God through Scripture is the fact that He constantly reveals Himself as a Father. In 2 Corinthians 6 verse 18, Paul speaks of an, an Old Testament prophecy, and he says, I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord God Almighty. In God's mind, there is nothing that defines us anything less than His sons and daughters. When we look at the life of Christ, we actually see that. In the book of John, the amount of times that Jesus as a human actually refers to God as His Father is incredible. 116 times in the book of John, where Jesus says, me, uh, refers to Him and His Father. Here's a few of them. speaks about the Father loves the Son. The Son is not able to do anything on His own, but only what He sees the Father doing. My teaching is not mine, but it's from the one who sent me. The one who sent me is with me, and he has not left me alone. He says, I and my Father are one. My Father loves me, and the things that I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. He says, the Father who lives in me does everything that you're seeing. Everything that Jesus did in his time on the planet was connected to him and his relationship with his heavenly Father. And I sort of asked myself the question, I wonder what the prayer life of Jesus looked like when He engaged God, when He started praying. See, so many of us, when we start praying, we pray from the reference of our sinfulness. But that's not what Jesus prayed, because Jesus lived a sinless life. So prayer in Jesus' mind wasn't all based around my sin, it was based around the connection that I have with my Father. And when looking at that, I, I sort of asked myself the question, I wonder if I've fallen into the trap thinking that I have to walk through the doorway of sinfulness. Oh God, you know that I've sinned today and that I'm such a bad person, but luckily you can forgive me. If I start my prayers in that mode, guess what I'm doing? I'm reinforcing the conviction of my sinfulness and the separation between me and God. But if I'm convinced that I am his son or his daughter. And I'm convinced that there is a connection, a real relationship between me and my father. I walk in with God, thank you so much that you've opened the doorway for me to enter in. Thank you that there's no distance. Thank you that there is nothing that separates me from your love. And thank you because, that's, because that is true over my life that I can ask you into every other part of my being where I work, where I go to school, whatever I'm doing, I thank you that because there's no distance here, that I can believe that there's no distance there. Because you're in me, and I'm in you. It changes the whole notion of prayer, where prayer is something that celebrates God's presence rather than celebrates our sinfulness. And it's something that we've got to consider, that God dealt with sin through Christ on the cross. Finally and completely. So there's so much that I can say about that, but I want to end off with the last one, the last eye, and it's the eye of impact. Critical for us to understand that what happened to us changed our identity. It changed our ability to engage and relate with God. And that definition changed from distance to intimacy to connection. But from that point, I think one of the things that Christians do so easily is we think, well, luckily I am tight with God, and luckily there's a good relationship with me and God, and I can have great moments of worship, but I forget that part of my original design included identity, 
intimacy and impact. That there's a part of your life that will never be satisfied if you only focus on who you are. The way God created you was to live the kind of life that celebrates what happens internally, but also at the same time realizes and recognizes that we need to become a source of life to the people outside of us and to the world that we live in. Just listen to what Genesis 1 verse 26 and 27 says. God said, let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness so that they may rule. Three concepts. Let's make mankind in our image and in our likeness so that they may rule. So verse 27, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And that defines the construct of who we are. I think one of the problems we have is we keep defining the construct of humans from Genesis 3, where Adam and Eve sinned. And we don't realize that before we had Genesis 3, there was a Genesis 1. The primary building block of humanity is the fact that we were created in the image and likeness of God. And if that's true, it brings us to this point, where Genesis 1 says that we were created in God's image which refers to the fact that our identity was created to be aligned with who God was. Secondly, we were created in His likeness, which means that we were like God. And because we're like God, we have the ability to engage in a relationship, a growing relationship with our Heavenly Father. But it doesn't stop there. Because we were created to rule we were designed to live lives of impact. We were designed to make a difference in the world that we're living at. That every part of our creation design refers to the fact that something happens in me, it connects me in a relationship with God, and it positions me to make a difference to live a life of impact. One of the only reasons we don't do that is because we are still struggling um, when it comes to consider everything that God has done in me. During the end of last year, um, a few of the, uh, the people in the prayer ministry uh, with, with me and some others had a very strong sense that in 2019, we'll experience something of the year of more. In that space, we considered a scripture reference out of Ephesians that I just want to read. And I just want you to open up your heart and just to allow um, this scripture to speak with you and to speak to you, just listen to what Paul says. He says, when I think of all of this, when I think of everything that I've just said in chapter 1, 2, and 3 to that point, he says, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father. This is brilliant because it sort of changes the notion that God was only, that Jesus was the only one that had that kind of relationship with his father. Where Paul comes in and he says, because of all of this, I fall to my knee and I thank God, my father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. And I pray from this glorious, and, and I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, that he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. He says, then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust him defines the intimate connection between us and Him. He will move into your life. Your roots will grow, <clears throat> will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all people should, how wide, long, high, and deep His love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. He says, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of God. Just for a moment, just think about the fact. One of the references that the Bible speaks of is that you could be made complete with the fullness of God. That even in that sense of feeling imperfect, that we could come to a place if we grapple with our identity, how that speaks into our connection, our relationship with God, defined through intimacy, that we could come to a place that we could be made complete with the fullness of God. 
He says, Now all glory to God who is able through His mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Listen to what He does. He transitions. He says, All of this happened in you. It's going deep in God's love. It's understanding that Christ makes His home in you. But once you settle in that, the next thing that happens in us is that you would start considering the infinitely more that God wants to do through your life. It's never just about your identity and your intimate relationship with God. It's always positioning you for a life of impact, a life that makes a difference in the world that you're living at. Paul <clears throat> makes a very similar comment in 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8, and he says, God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. One of the interesting things um, when you discover this side of God, especially grappling with what it means to live a life of impact, is the fact that you will quickly realize that some people are still stuck in that orphan spirit that when they need to consider the fact that, hey, um, could I make a difference? No, because I don't have anything to do it with. You see a new mechanism, a different mechanism at work in other people's lives. And that was probably best exposed when Jesus fed the 5,000. You guys know the story that someone brought five loaves and two fishes, and they had 5,000 plus people in front of them. The, the disciples were absolutely convinced that the five loaves and the two fish weren't enough. What was Jesus' conviction? That was more than enough. See, in that moment, we see the picture with, between some people still stuck in a scarcity mindset, that orphan mindset, that I've got to hang on to the five loaves and two fish because if I start giving this out, we, no one, everyone's going to be hungry, me included. Where an abundance mentality, the conviction that we are sons and daughters of the Most High God, will enter into moments of need with a conviction that God will empower me for impact. And even though it seems physically that I don't have enough, God will provide and we will have more than enough. You know the interesting thing about the story of the five loaves and two fish? That every time it's retold in the gospel accounts, it ends off with, there were more than enough left over after everyone ate to the full. Entering into this wholehearted series, I want to ask you to consider, to ask this question. Are you compartmentalizing your life where you're giving God a little part of, your, of, of who you are, but you've almost categorized Him into one box, maybe two boxes, but God doesn't impact everything of who you are? And isn't this a time where you need to start considering, start asking the question of, am I trapped in the orphan spirit? That spirit that sort of has the ability to verbalize the fact that I believe that God is my Father. But you know that that's just an outward expression. When you think about where you are at this moment, you realize that you aren't experiencing the abundance, the intimacy, the connection that a son and a daughter of God has been invited to. You know that you made a decision to follow Christ. So this is not just about coming to salvation. It's about understanding that the gospel has something to say, not just about the point of salvation, but moving on through every season of life. And part of that is realizing and coming to terms with the fact that the cross, we'll share in communion a little bit later on tonight. The cross and communion is a statement that you are loved and that you belong. And that everything that God did, He did because He had you in mind. Wanted to bring salvation to the humanity that was lost because of sin, brokenness, and pain. So I want to ask you to close your eyes for a minute. Ask yourself this question. Am I living a life of separation 
of compartmentalizing just the essence of who I am? Am I stuck in an orphan spirit where I know that I made the choice to follow Christ, but I'm not experiencing the fullness of God's love and the fullness of the connection that's available to me, and I'm not living a life of impact because I have this condition inside of me, an orphan spirit that keeps telling me that don't share your life. Just try and hold on to whatever you've got. Isn't this an opportunity tonight where you've got to come to a place to at least acknowledge that you're struggling with an orphan spirit? There's something inside of you that forces you to separate, to segregate, to live exclusively from others. Just focus on yourself because you aren't experiencing the identity, the intimacy, and the impact that God has promised us through Christ. Before we go on to the next part of our service, I want to ask if you're at that place and you want to say, God, I want to allow you to do something in me. I want to move away from just being orphaned in heart. And I want to be included in a prayer tonight. Don't you want to raise your hand? I just want to pray for you. People that are saying, I know I'm stuck. In the wrong side of what God has invited me into. Give a last moment. I'm so convinced that God's going to shift a few people's lives tonight. From a place of being separate to being included to a place of belonging. So if you need prayer, I want to ask you, if you raise your hand, don't you just want to stand with me for, for a moment? I want to pray for you. I know it's a bit confronting, but there's something about just putting yourself in that place and saying, God, I want to affirm that I believe that I'm probably not in the space of your love. I'm not convinced of your love that I should be. And I want to open myself up to the more of what you have in store going to give a last opportunity if you need to stand. Thank you, Jesus. If you're sitting in the pews, don't you just want to stretch your hands out to these people? One of the things that Jesus did so consistently is the fact that he affirmed the declaration of God over his life. It wasn't just God saying about him that he was the Son of God. Jesus said, I am the Son of God. So I want to ask you, just while standing here, just before we pray, if you would consider just making this declaration over your life, just say, Jesus, I thank you that I am included in your love. I thank you for the cross. I thank you that the cross brought me to a point of salvation. And I thank you that salvation is more than what I have ever considered. I thank you that I belong in your love. And I thank you that I am worthy of your love. And I accept and receive your love over my life tonight. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Father, there is a number of people standing here tonight just acknowledging the fact that they are struggling with an orphan spirit. I want to pray, Lord, that they would hear as Christ heard tonight that you are making declarations over their life, that they are not orphaned because what you did for them on, through your Son on the cross opened the door for them to be loved and for them to belong and for them to experience the fullness of your love in their life. So tonight, God, I make a declaration over their life that they are not orphaned anymore. They are included. They are loved. They are worthy of your love. And they are welcome into everything that you have made available in Christ. 
I want to pray, Lord, that when the enemy comes to challenge their identity or the nature of their relationship with you or their ability to have an impact in this world, that you would establish a belief in their heart that they are sons and daughters of the Most High God. And because they are your sons and daughters, they have access to your love in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yeah, let's give God a good end. Um, the declaration over your life in terms of God's love and the security that we have because of God's love has the ability to transform the essence of who we are. There's this principle that says words creates worlds. We've seen this in terms of the negative. I want to challenge you to start thinking of the words that you're using over your own life and how it's creating the world that you're living in. I am loved. I am welcomed. I am accepted. I am recreated. I am the image of Christ. I am God's plan for this planet. I am everything that God had in mind when He created Christ. I've been created in the image and likeness of my Father. And because that's true of me, a life of impact beckons. It's waiting for me. I'm literally responding with this what's next, Papa, attitude. Because I know that God's Spirit is working in my spirit, confirming that I am a child of God. Before we go into time of communion, don't you want to stand with us as we just finish uh, this part of the service just with a song? Thanks.
want to invite you to come and share in communion with us. So as we continue to worship, just come around, take the elements, remember what Jesus did, not for you, but as you. And when you take it tonight, just focus on the fact that we are children of God, that the Son of God was also the Son of Man. And when He died and rose again, He included us in His life, in His death and His resurrection. And we're going to worship from that place tonight. May your heart be softened and transformed as you partake of communion. Thank you, Jesus.